Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. these last weeks. We're expecting more this morning because that's just who our God is. You can't possibly out-hype God. He's God. So it's amazing what he's doing. And I have the privilege this morning of one of our own Overflow students here who, as she was, Ella, as she was in, first of all, give it up for Ella. And she had the opportunity with one of her school assignments to talk about something significant going on in the world around her. And she said, I don't want to look any further than what's happening in my local church. So I want you to hear Ella. I asked her to come and share her essay. And then after she does this, we're going to pray and release this. So Ella, come and share with us, girl. Okay, so I um, ent- submitted this essay for fine arts to see if it would go far. And um, it's about, um, it's mainly about revival. I don't want to spoil it too much, but it, uh, the title is We Are Hungry and... I deeply relate to this prayer from Habakkuk 3.2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. In your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I have heard of the miraculous testimonies regarding my God. I have diligently studied the pages of my Bible, read the lengthy passages concerning his faithfulness and his perfection. And I have loved learning about who he is. But in the midst of my youth, I have wondered, would he do it again? My life is centered in the heart of Brandon, Florida. Community plays a key role in our church mission. We are like an extended family. Our assembly is not evidently vast, but our faith is, and that's what I adore about our church. Through the years, we've offered strategically planned missions, powerful prophetic visions, and among us, there's scarce division. Still, we have remained hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. This semester, as the newness of 2023 lingered, the fresh outpouring upon the Asbury campus began. The renowned movement prompted my mom, who teaches our homeschool Bible class, to unapologetically lead us into the worship center of our church to pray eagerly for revival to occur in our own community. Nine teenagers were released into spiritual freedom. Every creative expression was unique, permitted, and celebrated. Some danced, some drew visions, some wrote, some cried, some waved flags, and some spoke words over our church into the microphone with great authority. We championed each other's prophetic visions of fire, water, oil, thresholds, mud, smoke, flowers, 
trees and additional images of the Holy Spirit's abiding presence in our midst. What was intended as an hour of quiet time with the Lord evolved into three hours of unobstructed adoration. Recently, I have been educated on the game of chess. I have not mastered the techniques or the moves or the strategies, but I can boast minor victories. The goal of the game is to inevitably vanquish your opponent's king without your host becoming adversely subdued. The difficulty is recalling how each piece operates in dodging the capture of your precious tokens. When I had become confident enough in the skill of chess, I challenged my grandpa to a match. Within five minutes, he had effortlessly bested me, and I found myself trapped in one of his teachable moments about the game. <laughs> the speech was of little significance to me. I simply desired another opportunity to achieve su success. That is, until he said something that I found to be a rather interesting parallel. He said, some people try to fool you by sweeping all of your pieces off the board. But remember, you haven't lost until they have your king. I immediately froze and then smiled. He was correct. In chess, a typical strategy would be to lure your opponent's focus away from their king by placing another valuable piece, such as their queen or bishop, into jeopardy. This wisdom isn't merely related to a game. As I considered the revival, healings, and change occurring around the world, I began to wonder about this peculiar, peculiar event. Why? Why does revival come? What beckons it closer? It was in a conversation with my mom that my inquiries concerning revival were finally resolved. She responded that revival comes for a singular reason, because people are tremendously hungry for Jesus. They have come to the life-altering conclusion that nothing else satisfies more than his presence, for nothing else has the power to sweep our cities with newness and life better than the one who created it. In the words of revivalist Leonard Ravenhill, the only reason we don't have revival is because we are willing to live without it. It is when we, the players, ultimately realize our opponent's schemes and shift our focus to winning with our king. In essence, we are saying, I am willing to lose every other piece I have except the king. Similarly, revival only comes when we ignore the distractions, begging for our attention, and are fully restored to be hungry for Jesus. The following Sunday morning, I arrived at church with great expectancy, and something miraculous happened. People intentionally responded to the altar call, to worship, to the healings. It wasn't a select few anymore. It was a surprising majority. I had been attending our church for a while, and I had never witnessed healings in service, or worship continue even after completion of the service, or visions being openly shared. Three people with back pain were healed. And this only caused our hunger to increase. The next week, over 40 people were baptized, and those ridden with allergies were cured. When pausing to describe the events I was witnessing, I wrote, something is changing, but not something. It's everything. I am still in awe. There were 40 baptisms today, ranging from 60-year-olds to 3-year-olds. The shy, the bold, the pregnant, the injured, the known, the unknown, the single, the families, the renewed, the hungry, the husband, the wife, the daughter, the son. All were hungry and all were met with something that satisfies. And what is it? A lifestyle, a movement, or a moment? Primarily, I am learning that revival is a movement within the church. 
It's a lowercase c, church. Which contrasts renewal, which is a renewed commitment or rehabilitation in your personal life. And awakening, which is a renewed commitment or rehabilitation in the global or national community of believers. If you haven't witnessed revival in your church or a miraculous work in your own life, this might feel like another dream that might never become a reality. But it's not reserved for the largest, most spiritual churches. If more people hunger for, church, for Jesus, then wonderful. But just nine teenagers invited his presence into our church. Maybe you're the one to invite him into yours. Revival starts with a decision, your decision. You have the opportunity, just like me, to witness God flipping the script, to venture beyond the walls of your imagination, to wear, to wear God's dreams away. It's sensationally simple. The requirements have been met, the fee paid, all that is needed is to drop the distractions and hunger for revival. Perhaps it's your financial situation, a device, your career, or even a relationship. Anything that inhibits you is a hindrance, not only to you, but to your church. It will hamper God's special plans for you. To achieve victory, we need to permanently fix our eyes to the king. Once we individually encourage expectancy for the Father's presence within us, it will naturally expand to our churches until it globally overflows beyond what we ever intended. The time is now because we're hungry. Revival isn't a distant hope anymore. It's a current opportunity. And um, I also just wanted to say um, that was the end of my essay, but there were some other things that God wanted to say to me. Um, as I was sitting in service lately, I've just been hearing that revival isn't over. It's not. It's everywhere. It's in you. And I also just heard kind of what confirmed that I have to say this is that he said there are no more excuses. Whatever is telling you that you can't worship him fully or that you can't, I don't know, just whatever hindrance you, whatever hinders you is a distraction and you need to drop it in order for revival to come. That's it. So, Ella, that's a response to Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yeah. Elevating Christ in us, the hope of glory. So while you're still standing, this is what I'm going to ask. Because one of the things that has been stirring in my heart after everything that happened at Asbury and everything that happened at Samford and the other, and in some places it felt like things have come back to life and it like calmed back down. And people have asked, oh, was that it? Was that it? And if you heard her, she said, revival is everywhere. Revival is now. Revival is within you. And there are no more excuses. So our Father is only stirring more. So what I've asked Ella to do, I'm going to ask that you would just extend your hands in a place of receiving. And I'm just going to ask Ella that what you just preached to us that you would pray would be the reality in our life. Would you just pray that we would be receiving revival right now? Sure. Okay. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to do this, and I thank you that you didn't just leave this within me, that you let me release it. And I pray that everything that you have given to me, everything that you have told me about revival, that it will just become clear to all of the people in this room and that they will... Will you just, will you put your hands out like in like a position like you're holding something? Okay, so um, 
Well, you just pretend that there's just a giant ball of fire in your hands. And it's, and you know, like when a fire is really hot, it's like blue. So like blue fire, because it's like, it's really hot. So anyways, um, I feel like, so Jesus, I pray that this fire that you have given me, I give to them and I release it and I allow that you have permitted us to go and carry this fire to our workplaces, our churches, and our communities, and every place that you have wanted, that you have been stirring in these people's hearts to go and release what you have given to mm -hmm. them. I pray that there's nothing that inhibits them anymore, and mm -hmm. that they will carry the fire with great authority and power, knowing that you, you have given us the authority and the power to yes. do this. So with your hands there, I want you to say, Lord, I receive this fire. No more excuses. I surrender my excuses. And I receive the anointing to carry your fire of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Well, let it burn. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You guys could be seated. Now, I want to tell you what was so amazing about this is that as Ella, um, as Ella sent me this, she had sent it uh, to me throughout a, a, a kind of busy week and said, hey, Pastor Chuck, whenever you get a chance, there's this thing. And so whenever I can't read a text right away, I just leave it in my unread text so that I don't ever miss anybody's text. And I went to bed that night, and I had a dream. And the dream that I had was me and Ella standing up much like we just did right here. And as we were standing here, I was just watching her release things. And as soon as I woke up, what the Lord said was, I want every age, in every place, in every room, the anointing gets released at Overflow Church. Yeah. Every gift, every place, every room. And so I got up that morning, I looked at my text, and Ella had this bold text that she said, Pastor Chuck, I wrote this in my essay, and as I was sitting before the Lord, I really believe this needs to be heard by the church. And so I just want to say this right now in Jesus' name, wherever that is in you, what you just watched in Ella prophetically, okay, whether you are young or whether you are not so young, man, woman, child, whatever socioeconomic status, I want to tell you this at Overflow Church, every single room is open to you for Christ in you, the hope of glory to shine. So don't apologize and don't make excuses and step into it. Would you receive that in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, listen, I am thrilled this morning to actually be able to share with you a message that I tried to preach two weeks ago, and it just didn't happen because we kept worshiping. But this has been burning in my heart because I want to talk about, as we're talking about getting in the game, I want you to think for just a minute about the greats that we've seen that have played sports before. So you see a picture here first of Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky is the all-time NHL leader in goals and assists. He's a four-time Stanley Cup champion. He's won nine Hart Trophies, the NHL MVP. And at his retirement, he held 61 records. But Wayne Gretzky was told that he was not big or fast enough to be a competitor. So instead, he became an expert at skating routes, perfecting passes, and goal accuracy. Why don't you see this next athlete? Ray Lewis, Super Bowl champion and MVP, and one bad dude you would not want to run into in an alley. 13-time Pro Bowler, but here's the thing. Ray Lewis was the oldest of five who helped raise his siblings when his father left. 
He struggled most of his life through poverty. He desired to make something of his life, and football became an outlet. And so he practiced eight to 10 hours a day, even when his team wasn't practicing. The next one, Tom Brady, our Tampa Tom, seven-time Super Bowl champion, five-time MVP, a 15-time Pro Bowler. At this time, he holds 16 all-time NFL records. But listen, Tom Brady, you know his story. He started seventh-string quarterback at Michigan. He was drafted 199th in the sixth round as an expected career backup. And he was told that he was too skinny, too slow, and too awkward to succeed in the NFL. In fact, if you want evidence of that, you can go back and look at his combine footage where they still tease him to this day about it. One scout said this. He said, awful, weak. He'll make somebody a good husband or a good medical salesman. That guy is now looking for a job. All right. Serena Williams. Serena Williams holds 23 Grand Slam singles titles, 14 doubles titles with her sister Venus, four Olympic gold medals. But listen, she overcame great adversity in racism, sexism, and body image criticism. The critics said to her that she was too muscular, that she was strong, that she was not feminine enough. At times you want to punch somebody. She was undeterred. She continued to work out eight hours a day, followed a strict diet and extremely regimented schedule just to focus on not the critics, but being the best me I can be. The next one, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps stands as the most decorated Olympian of all time with 28 medals, 23 of those gold medals. He holds four world records, but he was afraid of water as a child. <laughs> he overcame personal struggles with depression and much public criticism. He worked out six hours a day, six days a week, followed a strict diet and a training and a coaching plan. And just one more here. My man, Michael Jordan. Six-time NBA Finals champion, six-time MVP, five-time NBA MVP. He led the NBA in scoring 10 seasons. Of course, his story, he was cut from his sophomore basketball team, which only fueled his determination to mentally and physically be the best he can be. Michael Jordan became a sponge, studying and perfecting the smallest nuances of the game, and he had a work ethic that stretched his teammates. And I want you to recognize something about all of these stories that we said, because these six that I showed you, they came from diverse backgrounds and upbringings and challenges, and none of them that I just shared had it easy. None of them had it handed to them on a silver platter. But all of them, and this is what I love, it's right here in my message, and Ella heard it this morning. Listen, all of them kicked their excuses to the curb and worked hard over time because they burned to be great. And if you're not catching on that maybe the Lord is wanting to say something this morning, I wrote this message weeks ago. Ella stood up here saying that during worship this morning, she heard one thing for revival to continue, no more excuses. I love this quote by the leadership expert, Zig Ziglar, he says this, he says, there are no traffic jams on the extra mile. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? See, I love that because what makes a champion is the drive to keep going past the status quo, to keep going past enough, to be undeterred by setbacks, to be allergic to excuses, to be resilient against delays, to stand in challenges because all of them see this all-consuming goal, and they refuse to settle until their rhythms become a reality. And as I'm thinking about this, I was taken to the book of 1 Corinthians. 
by the Apostle Paul when he spoke these words. He said this, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way as to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we a crown that will never fade away. So therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, no, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I want you to hear what Paul is saying here for you and I. He's saying that today we are in a race. But here's the deal. I'm not racing you. Do you get that? We're in a race. But I'm not running against you because he says that this is a race that all of us are destined to win. If you want a picture of your race today, it's kind of like a multiverse where you are racing every inferior, deluded, distracted, disillusioned version of yourself that Jesus says you don't have to be anymore. You're in a race, but you're not racing everyone else. You're not racing the person at your job. You're not keeping up with the Joneses. You're in a race. What are you racing? Every deluded, distracted, discouraged, shadow version of yourself. And Paul says, I want you to run in a way that you would win the race. He says there's a prize, and I love this because as you look throughout the New Testament, part of the prize that it talks about us that Jesus purchased is this word righteousness. And maybe you don't know that word, maybe that doesn't fire you up, but in Greek the word righteousness, it means to be put back in the package in your original condition. To be who you were always made to be. I don't know, is there anybody in the room that is ready to be who you were always made to be this morning? Anybody this morning that would say, I'm done with the shadow version of myself that keeps whispering to me that I'm going to fall, that I'm going to go. I'm done blaming everybody else for not running the race the way that I have. I'm done blaming politics. I'm done blaming churches. I'm done blaming neighbors. I'm done blaming family. I'm done blaming the economy. I'm done blaming, come on, somebody. And I am ready to finally step into this race and be who I was always meant to be. Now, that's good, right? Oh, but it's much better than that. Because Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 9, doesn't just say that the prize is righteousness. That would be amazing. You and me being what we were always meant to be. He's like, no, that's thrown in. In fact, that's so little, I can't even call that the prize. He says the prize is this. The prize is Jesus himself. That the God of the universe is actually knowable. Can we, can we allow ourselves to not become too familiar with that fact? That we don't hear it and then think, oh yeah, i got to go get groceries today and everything else. The God of the universe! The creator of stars. The maker of the beach and friendship and love is completely knowable. He's not far off as some have assumed it says in the book of Acts. And Jeremiah says this, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows me, and you can. And John, he says, this is eternal life, 
that you would know your God. In Philippians, he says that you and I can know Christ in the power of the resurrection and in the fellowship of our sufferings that in our lowest moment, we're actually sharing with us and he has not left us and he has not forsaken us. In Ephesians, it says that we are able to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and to be filled, listen, not with all the fullness of Chuck, Okay? To be filled with all the fullness of Chuck means if I get a little bit more, then I'm overflowing, and yay, Chuck's so happy. He didn't say, Chuck, you could be filled with all the fullness of Chuck. He said you could be filled with all of the fullness of the God of the universe. Do you know what happens if you try to fill this measly vessel with the God of the universe? I will spontaneously combust and put on a fireworks show everywhere you can imagine. And he says, this is normal Christianity. This is the race you're running. And guess what? You're not running against someone else. You're not running against an agenda. You're running against shadow versions of yourself that the cross says you're not anymore. So you don't have to put it on anymore. But like those great athletes, we've got to kick the excuses. We've got to kick the excuses of our adversity or our I don't understand. We've got to get rid of the shortcuts because the prize is Jesus himself. And here's what I find is crazy about running this race. Not only am I not running against you, but actually this is what I find. The bolder you run, the further and faster I go. Because the bolder you run, the more you show me the inheritance that I have because I'm your brother in Christ. The bolder you run today, the more you'll kick out. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I'm going to tell on myself just a little bit. We're in the midst of worship in the last few weeks. As Pastor Chris and Pastor Ruth have been leading worship, I've been feeling something happening to this white boy up front. <laughs> that all of a sudden, something that these hips don't have, they're wanting to move. And I'm like, Jesus, this is not a good idea from the front row. This is not good. There'll be strange fire in this place. But I found today that as I was worshiping, he said this, and I wasn't planning on sharing any of this, but he said, like, thanks, Lord, this is kind of my prayer life. But um, he said, listen, if you would be bold enough to run the way that I gave you, I promise that there are people in this room right now that are not the reserved version of themselves that they brought. And listen, this isn't about whether you worship in a reserved way or whether you worship in a loud way. It's that you worship in an authentic way. So what that means is this. If you're quiet and reserved and you're at a moment, you need to be at the altar. If you're jumping around, that's inauthentic. It's not about getting louder. But at the same time, there's a problem in the church that we'll go to football games, we'll go to every kind of sporting competition, we will lose our minds. You'll find, and I love hearing this in the church, they go, well, you don't understand, Pastor. Just men aren't that expressive. I'm like, I've been to too many Bucks games. Save it. <laughs> men aren't expressive. I'm like, the dude has no shirt. He's painted all of the chest hair. It's melting away in 105 degree heat. He's wearing a helmet that is literally giving a drink right now and he's spinning in circles. Don't tell me men are too reserved. <laughs> All right, Pastor Aaron, I had a message to preach this morning. I'm gonna get back and share what I had to share. Here's the deal. The bolder you choose to run, the more you will give permission to other people to run. So when Ella came up this morning, what you saw was the boldness of a daughter choosing to run. And you know, before she got here, she had about a million off-ramps she could have chosen. 
She had about a million places she could have said, well, I'm not the one that, I mean, somebody else in our youth group could share that, or somebody else that's an adult, one of the pastors could see that, so I'll just keep this in my private, quiet prayer journal, and God wanted to bring it out and publish it. Why? Because she ran boldly today, and some of us are going to run faster this week, right? Because that's the way this race works. The bolder you run, the more you give courage and permission to others, and I love being a part of a community, that that's commonplace here. I find all the time that the way you run gives me permission to run more. But I want you to understand something. That kind of race is not automatic. It doesn't just happen. One of the reasons we get upset about when the emotional turn comes after an Asbury is that what you have is too many people have not chosen rhythms that are sustainable with revival. Let me say that again so that sinks in deep. The problem we have after moments like Asbury that are emotional, they sweep us all up in the moment, whether you're paying attention or you're not. God just comes in, and he gets all of our attention, and it's like falling in love all over again. It's like, wow. But for too many of us, we have not developed rhythms in our life that are sustainable for revival. So when the moment goes and the loudest voices go back in their life and they're growing, we suddenly go and we settle, and then we blame God. God, when are you going to come and visit us? again. Paul says there's a race that we've been given to run, and it's a race that today we can win. There's a place we've been called to be a spiritual champion, and we've got to kick aside the excuses, but what it's going to require, and this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says it's going to require self-control. Not self-help, not self-sufficiency, Self-control is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. What is self-control? In fact, if I had to give you a definition, it's this, because I'm going to talk a little bit about this today. Self-control is the Holy Spirit-supplied ability to make your body move in alignment with who your spirit has become in Christ. What is self-control? Self-control, first of all, is from the Holy Spirit. It's a Holy Spirit-supplied ability to do what? To move your body, to move your will, to move your decisions, to move your time, to move what you do in accordance with who Jesus says your spirit already became. See, all of this life, what's happening is we're just on a journey of our soul catching up with the reality that took place a long time ago in our spirit. He said we've got to run with self-control. And as he continues on in this, he says we need this self-control in everything, it says in 1 Corinthians 9. What do we need it? We need it in how we order our days. We need it in how we talk to that person who nags or annoys us. We need it in how we spend time online. We need it when we're tempted to act like a victim and to blame everyone else in life for things that aren't working out or God himself. And we need it in the spiritual diet we feed ourselves to grow to maturity. And as Paul is writing this passage, he says this. He said, this is what I'm shocked about in the church. Because as I look around, I've seen physical athletes do crazy things and commit themselves. And come on, haven't we? Anybody get a little bit sick when you hear that some athlete signed for like, they signed for $18 million today to go hit a baseball. You're like, oh, my Lord. (laughs) Jill and I have been practicing in the front yard just to see if something pans out. We're going to hit the baseball. We're going to make it. But Paul says, I've seen this in every culture. There are athletes that will choose self-control in everything, but they do it for a temporary crown that is fading. And we have crowns that never fade. And I love this because when you read elsewhere in the Bible about these crowns, do you know what we do with all the crowns that we get? We lay them all at Jesus' 
feet. Why? Because he's the prize. It's the craziest picture. He paid it all. We can contribute nothing. We have nothing to offer. And yet, when we choose to burn for him, when we choose to surrender to a spiritual gift of self-control, when we choose to stop making excuses, when we choose the slow road to learn who we are and how we relate with our God, we become a spiritual champion. And then the stories that change all around us, the legacy of lives that change because you ran the way you were supposed to run, one day you get before Jesus and you see it all and they're crowns. And you know what you're going to do with them? You're going to take them all and say, listen, I couldn't pay anything. But these I gladly bring and I lay at your feet. Because you are worthy of it all. And Paul in this passage says, what God's desire for you and me is not just for a few. He's called us to be spiritual champions. So Paul is a conclusion. He stops this passage. He says, I've made my choice. And here's my choice. I won't run aimlessly. I got a question this morning. Is anybody here running aimlessly? Expending your energy, your time, your effort on stuff that doesn't advance the finish line. Spending all of your emotion on stuff that's fading and petty and hollow. I know I have. And it's, it's really interesting when, when Paul talks about this, about running aimlessly, the actual word he has is unmanifest. To run in a way that is Unmanifest. It literally would mean running with a cloak on. So I got my buddy Jonathan here. Jonathan, you're, you're a runner as well. And so you're running some distances right now, man. Like you are, you are killing it. So can I share this? Is this all right? I'm already here, so we're here. So Jonathan sent me a picture yesterday. <laughs> Forgive me later. Jonathan sent me a picture yesterday of his watch, and he had run some like 13 miles, like, like half marathon craziness. So here's my question, Jonathan. How would you feel running that distance with a cloak on? That, that, right? Yeah, you're like, I didn't want to run without the cloak on, right? This idea of running, and this is what Paul says. He says, for some of you, what's happening is you're running unmanifest. What does that mean? You're running cloaking the glory that's in you. You're putting on a coat of all the excuses. You're putting on a coat of everybody else you're blaming. You're putting on a coat of it's my boss's fault. You're putting on a coat of it's the health condition's fault. You're putting on a coat of it's my heredity. It's what my parents haven't done. It's their fault. And he said, and as a, as a result, what you're doing is you're running unmanifest. And here's the deal. That coat is dead. It's not part of you. You could put on a dead coat. When the Bible talks about the flesh, I hear people say, I'm wrestling with my flesh. I'd say, stop it. Because if you read the seven passages in the New Testament that talk about your flesh, it says that Jesus took it into the grave. He killed it. All it is is a dead coat crying out from the ground for you to put it on. Ooh, that's gross. You can put it on, but you'll never be that beast again. You're a new creation with a new heart. So Paul says, I'm not going to wear the old coat anymore. I'm not going to run unmanifest. He goes a little bit further. He says this, I'm going to stop boxing the air. Anybody feel exhausted, but you don't know what to show for it? If that's you this morning, I hope what you will hear is some hope from the Holy Spirit because he has breathed a gift called self-control so you and I can win the race of somebody. It is time to get your Jesus yoga pants out. It is time to stretch because we've been made to win a race. I want to give you one more application from this passage before we talk about what to do with it this morning. Paul says, how do we run with self-control? So remember, self-control is the ability for your body, for your will, for your decisions, for the stuff you do to match who Jesus says you are. Anybody in the room want that? 
Anybody want self-control today? Yes? Great. He says, here's how you get it. You ready? Discipline. Discipline. See, here's the deal about the word discipline. I used to hate that word. Because discipline only brought two things to mind. One, I grew up in the South all of my life. And in the South, discipline is always used for what happens when you're doing things that you're not supposed to be doing, right? Like, you know, if you don't stop be start behaving right now, and Daddy's going to come home, he's going to have to discipline you. That's always the way you would hear the word discipline. The second one is this, the word discipline. There is nothing about it that ever sounds fun, ever. Can you imagine that? Somebody comes to you like, hey, you want to hang out Saturday together? We haven't gotten together in a while. You're like, oh, man, that sounds great. What do we want to do? They're like, I don't know. We could, like, order some pizza, watch a movie, or, you know, do discipline. You're like, ha, I, I got plans that day, man. I can't do it. Discipline sounds terrible. And not only that, but Paul uses this word in the passage where he says it's not just discipline, but we need to exercise strict control. Now, this is where the Greek gets me really excited, because when you look at these two words in the Bible, discipline and self-control, it's actually a sports image, and it's an image of stepping into a boxing ring. And it's a, the image is a, of a boxer stepping into a ring and wearing his opponent down by a continual action that makes him go where he wants him to go, namely the mat. What is Paul saying? He said, I've made a decision because I've made something new. And there are days where I get up and there are all these shadow versions of myself trying to get back onto me. So what do I do? I stop the victim mentality of blaming everyone else or blaming God, and I get myself in the ring. And through continual action, standing on who Christ says I am now, standing on his promises, I take every shadow version of myself and I beat the tar out of it until... It goes where I want it to go. Literally, in Greek, it means to give it a black eye until it obeys me. That's my disciplined person there. <laughs> this is what he says, and I want you to understand this because you might hear that and be like, man, that sounds like violent imagery. Yeah, if that's based on you, if that's based on your striving. But if it's based on self-control, which is a Holy Spirit-supplied ability, listen to me, somebody. Holy Spirit saying this. You feel like you got a million coats on you that don't belong to you anymore. Yeah? Anybody agree with that? I got a thousand voices vying for my attention every day, lying and saying all kinds of things. He said, I want you to know this. When you wake up every morning, good day or bad day, I've already given you a Holy Spirit-supplied ability. It's not on you. Here's what you got to do. Just get in the ring. And the minute you get in the ring, who I say you are will continually, I'm going to show you a continual way, continual rhythm, that you put that voice where it needs to be, and through that rhythm, it falls. Through that rhythm, you become a champion. And so this is what I want to do. If we were counting down to a game today, we'd count down and go three, two, one. I want to give you a quick three, two, one today, okay? I want to give you three costs to neglecting rhythms with God. I want to give you two rhythms that we need to be ready to run right now, and then I want to close with one decision. Three, two, one. Are we ready? So, we've got one person up front that's ready. Thank you. So this is where I want to go. I want to tip my hat. This is what I'm saying today. You have been called to win the race. If you do not win the race, it is not Jesus' fault. 
It is not your neighbor's fault. It's not your heredity's fault. It's not your boss's fault. You've been given a spirit from God that just like every one of those champions that you saw, we've all been handed a hard, uh, a hard number of, of cards in our deck of cards, yeah? All of us have been at a place where bad things have happened and it's been tough in the world. You will know trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He said, I've come and I've given you this spirit of self-control that you can get in the ring. But here's what I want to say this morning. I'm going to go from a little bit of bad news to a lot of really good news. The bad news is this. I want to give you three costs of continuing to neglect rhythms with God. You're at the place that you say, I'm too busy, too busy. I jump from church to church to church because they're not feeding me. You're not an invalid. You've been called to feed yourself. That ain't even in my message, okay? But that's just true. (laughs) Three costs of neglecting personal and corporate rhythms with God. Cost number one is this. You will develop an unbalanced and unhealthy image of God, you, and the world. You'll get ill. If you don't have regular rhythms where you come back and remind yourself who you are before the Lord. Now, anybody remember the food pyramid when you were coming up in school, right? The the pyramid where they tell you the things that you should eat and what's healthy. And they would put that up in every school. And I can remember this. My first year of middle school, I came in and they introduced this brand new thing countywide. They said, we're going to introduce this magical place called the a la carte line. And here's the way it worked. They had the regular lunch line where you could go and get the balanced meal that looked like that food pyramid. Or they had the a la carte line where you could order whatever you wanted anytime. And so my mom sent me money every day uh, in seventh and eighth grade. And in fact, I don't know if I've ever told her this. And she's watching online right now. So this might be like public confession. Um, but I never once went to the regular line in two years at my school. It was a la carte, baby. And every day at lunch, listen, I had the same lunch. Every day it was a giant chocolate chip cookie, a big bag of Cheetos, and a Hawaiian punch. And now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Some of you are like, you are a bad kid. No, listen, I looked at that food pyramid, and I saw, look, I had fruit in the Hawaiian punch. I had dairy in the chocolate chips. I had my grains with the Cheetos. I was eating. I was the picture of health. In the same way, God says my people perish for a lack of knowledge. See, we have more information than we've ever had before. However, we lack knowledge of God on a greater global level than we've ever known. You can have a form of godliness but deny its power. You can go through life and pick a la carte spirituality with Jesus things on it. I'll watch this YouTube video. I'll check out this thing. I'll get my verse of the day. But you can actually be neglecting what is needed for your health and your holiness and your longevity. Because again, if you're driving the ship, then you will always neglect the things that are hard. See, I think we believe the lie that if something is hard, it can't be good. And here's the problem. Real community is hard. Watched a lot of people leave the local church. And and I've heard some horror stories of things that have happened, but I've also watched a lot of people just leave simply because it's hard. Jesus showed up to the disciples. He said, how much longer must I put up with you? It's hard. You've got to fight for it. Finding stillness in a busy world to hear the voice of God is hard. Slowing down enough to learn the heart of the Father and to get into his word. Choosing restoration and facing the things in your past that are difficult and you'd rather just bury through entertainment or distraction. It's hard. And so as a result, a lot of us have chosen a spiritual junk food diet where we get some from here and some from here and some from here. But the problem is it's all driven by me and it's all what's going to feel good in this moment. 
And as a result, we've gotten a culture full of people that are quick to speak for God in one of the most biblically illiterate cultures ever. But if you speak for God without a true heart knowledge of the God who has spoken, you will make you and others sick on junk food while you starve for true sustenance. So like an athlete, we've been designed for these healthy rhythms so that we would know God to the extent we starve ourselves from them, we get ill. That's the first one. The second is this. Cost of neglecting these rhythms. Number two, you will allow your emotions and popular emotional agendas to sit in the place where your creator alone belongs. Say that again. If you neglect regular rhythms of hearing your God's voice and knowing his heart for you when everything else is screaming, you will allow your emotions and popular emotional agendas to sit in the place where your creator alone belongs. Said another way, you'll get isolated from intimacy. We have this value here of expectancy that we trust God's faithfulness above our feelings. But here's the truth for all of us. If we live in an age where more information is passing than we've ever known, we've got like a million voices vying for our attention every day. And here's the rule. The loudest voice always wins. Did you know that there are lots of loud opinions about God and love and truth and freedom that can sound kind and loving but actually be poisonous? That there's a way that seems right that in the end can lead to death. Did you know that not everything you feel is true? <gasps> what? There are many voices and the loudest voice wins. And this is what I've watched through years of ministry. It's been 25 years now and, and literally I got to grow up. I was on that, that hinge generation that I knew what it was like to grow up without any popular use of the internet or anything like that. Like I can remember the first time we ever used the internet for anything was when I was in college. And so I can remember all of that happening. I can remember a world before it and I can remember a world now. And I came up right on the cusp of that, right when the internet was becoming like, oh, this is a thing real people can use. That's when I became a youth pastor. And I've watched this change in 25 years that is crazy to me. The further and quicker we've processed information and needed it instantly, and the more we've consumed, the more we've watched that our entertainment and that our information newsfeed has climbed and climbed and climbed and climbed. The more we've become globally connected but actually disconnected, right? Like we know what's going on in everybody else's world all the time, and we say we have a thousand friends online, but really you're finding that that circle of people you really know and feel like you can open up to is shrinking, and you feel like you're living in a glass house. The more that has happened, listen, this is what I've watched climb. As a youth pastor, I watch the effects on mental health, sexuality, the sanctity of life, a distrust of authority, a separation between races and classes and labels. It has been insane. And the condition of the human heart has not changed. It's our transmission of information that has. We've amplified all of the other voices, and then we've blamed God for not speaking as loud anymore. We've turned everything else up. We put it on every device imaginable. We literally carry it around with us all the time. You know what it's like, right? And I know I've been guilty of this some too. And man, I'm trying to work on it. If you ever see me do it, slap me in the face. You ever in the middle of a conversation with somebody and they're talking to you and while they're talking to you, they're like, uh-huh, yeah. And I, uh-huh, I want to. And they just start texting somebody else or start checking. Or you go and like they're on their Instagram feed and you're like, like really? This is where we're at now? You get that? A million voices vying for our attention, and the loudest voice wins. So listen, if you neglect 
spiritual rhythms. This is not about whether you're going to heaven or not. It is about whether you're getting heaven in you. You will allow your emotions and popular emotional agendas. You will allow the loud, angsty, angry, insecure, rejected voices to sit on the throne of your life instead of the voice of God. Hebrews says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but we've been given a hope that can't be shaken. The question is, are we holding on to it? Are we making it the loudest, or are we running aimlessly with the agendas of our day and then getting mad at God when life doesn't work? We'll always recognize the scheme of the enemy because it seeks to destroy two things. It's going to destroy rest, and it's going to destroy relationship. You want to know when the enemy's on the throne? He's going to destroy rest. He's going to wear you out where you're always going, 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 and I'll sleep when I'm dead, and then he's going to destroy relationship. You will get further and further and further in telling everybody about your world but actually letting very few people in. Why? Because he wants us exhausted and angry and alone. But you and I, like the Apostle Paul pointed out, have a choice because right now we're in the middle of a race that we can choose to condition so that we can run the long way. We can stop the madness, and we can choose to focus instead on a father who is madly in love with us. It's our inheritance. Third cost is this, and now I'm going to turn to some really good news. If we neglect rhythms in our life, you will view all of life from the lens of an orphan, a victim, and a consumer, always looking for love instead of lavishing it from the overabundance you carry. Said another way, you will live and equipped. I want to tell you, 25 years now of ministry, just like those athletes I listed at the beginning, I've had an opportunity to travel several continents, to be all around the world, to see people of every background you could imagine, and I've seen people from all different sets of obstacles and setbacks and challenges. I've seen every personality type and gift set. I've worked with multiple races, genders, ages, nationalities, and I found this one constant without fail. The people who move past excuses of needing to blame everything and everyone else because they burn to know the God who could be known. The people who choose to stop making excuses and to establish rhythms in their life as vastly different as those rhythms might look. To regularly be in the word, to be in prayer, and to be in community. They are without fail the happiest, healthiest, most joyful people I have the joy to know. And the longer I know them, the more they burn, regardless of their circumstances. Here's the other side of that. Want to know the other constant I found? And those who won't, aren't. Those who won't choose rhythms. I have never met a person who I would say, you are your healthiest happiest, most joyful version of you, and they go, yeah, I never have any rhythms. I just never, I'm just kind of spitballing it. Never really walk with God, never really talk to him, never really get in his word. I don't really do community. I just do Lone Ranger, just being Jesus, and man, it's just life is working out. No, those are the angriest, most anxious, most angsty people that I have met. Why? Because if we're going to win this race, there are rhythms that we've got to choose to run. So three costs for us. Anybody ready to flip the script and get a little bit of good news before we get out of here today? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, so listen, two rhythms to help you move right now. Two rhythms that I want to talk about that we as a church are going to help, and then we're going to pivot this thing. The two rhythms are this. Number one, that you would develop a regular rhythm of reading the Bible alone and in community. Second, 
that you would develop a regular rhythm of listening and talking to God alone and in community. And when I talk about a regular rhythm, here's what I mean. I mean something you make space to do most days over time. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a priority that will become your preference if you'll keep showing up. So here's the deal. I want to give you a secret. There is no shortcut to intimacy with God. I want to give you a second secret, two for the price of one today. You wouldn't want it if there were. Because the minute that you actually get in to know your father's heart for you, you want to sit longer under the fount of his presence because he is everything you've ever been yearning for. So we've got to be in his word. If there are all these voices that we can't just be in his word alone, we've got to be in his word in community. And we've got to be at the place where we're regularly listening to and talking to God. And for some of you, what's happened is you've gotten in life and maybe you're very regimented. And you have this unsustainable, like, I'm going to spend four hours a day every day until Jesus comes back in prayer. And if I fail, then I'm just the world's greatest loser, right? Maybe that's where you've been. And I got to tell you, I tend to be regimented. I will show up with a plan that's unsustainable, and I'm like, I'm going to get in shape, so I'm going to work out six hours a day, and then I go four days, right? And then I never want to see a weight again in my life. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a priority, something that you keep showing up most days and saying, I'm going to make space for this. And what I promise you, I promise you in the next six months, if you will make a priority of being in the word of God, not to check it off of some list, but because, God, I burn for you and I want to know you. And if you will make a priority to make space, I don't even care how much space you say. Those people I could tell you about, some made tons of space, some made a little space. What I found is those who made space, the priority became their preference. And it ended up completely changing their life. So a few months ago, we spoke this thing out that we wanted to see happen. And listen, I'm deliriously excited about the stuff we've been speaking out in faith that we want to see happen. We said we wanted to see 60 people baptized this year in our first baptism. 40 people were baptized. Come on, in a few minutes, we're going to be stepping out on the breezeway. We've got some more scheduled to be baptized. God looks after his word to perform it. So listen, a few months ago, this is what our staff came together and said. We said we envision 70% of overflow members committing to read through the Bible together with on-the-road discussion and training throughout the year. So let me be clear about what that would mean. It's not just that 70% of us read the Bible. I hope 100% of us will read the Bible. It's that 70% of us would say, we're actually going to choose to do this in community. We're going to choose to walk together. We're going to choose to be reading the same things at the same time and leaning in. And we as a church want to put our resources into that. And so I started asking the Lord how to do that because I've done a lot of different ways of reading through the Bible. And um, the popular thing in America is read through the Bible in a year, and I don't want to knock that, but I want to say as a Bible teacher, I find that trying to read through the Bible in a year and see Jesus in the pages is way too quick of a pace to actually be able to take it in. And if what you're trying to do is not just go, yay, I read the Bible, but you actually want to get all of the Bible in you, then we need to slow down. And so one day I was just sitting and I said, Lord, how do you want to do it at the church? And I'm in my office, and he kicked me back around to my running medals, and he said, hey, you know those virtual running challenges you go on? You run smaller portions. Like right now, I'm running London. You wouldn't know that right now because it looks like I'm in America, but I'm running London right now. <laughs> and so when I get done, I'm running the length of London, and they'll send me a London medal. And then after that, I'm running Paris, and they'll send me a Paris medal. And he said, I want you to do the same thing with the Bible. I want you to go before the church, and I want you to split the Bible up into the larger sections that you know as a Bible teacher that would really help them to understand. You go through the Gospels, you'll go through Acts, you'll go through the letters of Paul, you'll go through the Torah, you'll go through the wisdom books, you'll go through Psalms, you'll go through Revelation, because come on, Revelation is its own thing, and if you actually understand Revelation, you won't find it terrifying, you'll find it unbelievably inviting. We're going to get there. We're not starting there. We're starting 
in the Gospels. And so this is what we've decided to do. In fact, we can pull up that next graphic. So starting next week, Palm Sunday, we're going to be reading 90 days through the Gospels for anybody who would like to join us. And so actually, as we go through this, um, we're going to go through every week. You'll be reading with your Overflow family. It'll be in the Bible app. That's the app where we actually have our notes right there. The Bible app is the most downloaded app in the world. This uh, particular plan is put together by the Bible Project. And here's what we're going to do. We actually are going to provide weekly videos and resources on all the outlets that we have. We're going to come onto Facebook. Uh, we're going to come on to YouTube. We're going to come onto our podcast. And every week we're going to have, hey, this is what you're getting ready. So literally, this starts next Sunday. Next Sunday, there will be a video waiting saying, you're going to be reading Matthew chapter 1 through 7 this week. And I want to walk you through some of what you're going to see. As we get resources of things, because I love digging into the Greek of what's going on there. Any resources that I have, as quick as I can keep up, I'm going to be posting them with you. And then we're going to go through. And then what's really awesome, much like my running medals, for some of you people, you don't care. But some of you are like me. You're like, I want a keepsake. I want a memorial stone. I want something to remind me of where I've been with my family. And so due to the amazing work of Miss Caitlin Tafflinger, we're going to have some commemorative pens that come through for that for anybody who'd like to purchase it. So you'll get through it. It'll be, here's the Gospels pen. And as we go through the years, you'll be able to go, this is what I've read with my overflow family. So in just a minute, I'm going to tell you how you can join on and do this. What I wanted to spend all of this time, if you're like, man, that's a long ramp up to say, will you just do the 90-day Bible reading challenge? Why did you talk for 40 minutes before just telling us we're going to do this? Can I tell you why? Can, can I tell you why? Yeah. Can I tell you why? Because yeah. I've done this for 25 years, and the number of times that I've stood up and told people the very thing that I've said today, only to have them go, thanks, Pastor. I'll be here to hear the message next week and move on. It's crazy. This is a tool and a resource, but this doesn't change until you and I actually believe, just like every spiritual athlete that has ever existed before us, that we have got to stop making excuses and make space. We've got to take ownership and be before the Lord. So this is a tool. We're throwing everything we've got at it with you, and it is going to be a joy. We're going to go through. That's the first rhythm that I want for us to walk through. The second one is this, and then we're going to pivot this and make a quick response. The second is, I want us to make regular space to listen and talk to God. We live in an age where I know the tyranny of the urgent. I know, um, listen, I choose to take a Sabbath every, every week. And when I get done with my Sabbath, my Sabbath's on Monday. So if you ever reach out to me on Monday and you don't know why you don't hear from me, I'm Sabbathing. But every day that I get back with, done with my Sabbath, I get done. And listen, there is a, just a big um, display of all the texts that have been waiting for me. I understand the tyranny of the urgent. But if we will not make space to get before the Lord, there is no other shortcut that will do it. And so this would be my encouragement to you when it comes to prayer. Maybe you have a prayer life that really works for you. I'll tell you what I'm doing right now, not so that you copy it, but so you can see something in simplicity and maybe it'll give you a direction. When I go out, I go jogging in the morning. When I'm done jogging, I spend some time just walking with the Lord because I love being out in space and nature. I leave just enough room that I can be able to know I'm not in a hurry. And I do two things in my prayer life. I used to have a really complex prayer life. Mine's two things. I've been doing this over a year now, and it has been a beautiful, refreshing thing for me. The first thing I do is the Bible says to cast all of your cares upon the Lord. So literally, I hold my palms down, and I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go. You're about to hear everything that I'm going through right now. And as I walk, some days looking like I'm really happy, and some days looking like a raving lunatic around my neighborhood, I just tell the Lord about everything that I'm going as I continue to walk. And when I get to the place where I feel like, Lord, I'm not hiding from you. I've told you where I actually am. I'll simply stop and do this. You ready? That's palms down. I stop for just a minute, and it's this quick. Palms up. I say, God, as I continue to walk, is there anything you want to say to me today? And you ready? 
Here's the really magical part. I keep walking. And I stop talking. And here's the deal. You go, what if God doesn't say anything? Then you get to breathe and take him in. Sometimes God simply just wants you to breathe. So what started to happen for me, though, was he said, hey, I want you to have a notepad on your phone because some days I'm going to give you a word that you need to remember, and I want you to write it down. But he had to tell me quickly, if you're one of these competitive people like me, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. The minute I got it, it was like three days in a row, he spoke something, he stopped me one day. He's like, put your phone back in your pocket at the time because he's like, you're turning now this into a ritual. Now you're turning this into a thing of I talk, and then I get quiet, and I ask a question, and then he gives me this really great revelation, and then I've got And he's like, don't do that. So he kind of put me in timeout. He's like, I'm not going to say anything today. Just walk. Just be. So for me, that's it. Just palms down, palms up. Now here's the deal. I said that it's a regular rhythm. What does that mean? If I get to the place where all of a sudden everything happens and I can't read my Bible, all of a sudden everything happens and I, I can't uh, go for my prayer walk, I don't think that the sky has fallen. I've made it a regular rhythm. It's not about perfection. It's about a priority that becomes a preference. So can I tell you what has started to happen? When I don't get there with the Lord, I don't think, oh, I didn't have my prayer time. I think, oh, I really need just a moment to talk to my father, to my best friend. I just need a moment to pour it out. And he always meets me there. So as we close this morning, I said three, two, one. We shared three costs of us choosing to neglect rhythms. We talked about two of these. By the way, the two that I gave you this morning were reading the word of God regularly and being in prayer, I want to add something to this. You could call it a different rhythm because it shows up regularly, but these are meant to be done individually and in community. These don't work, just you going by yourself. We need to be in community before the face of God. We need to be community in the word of God. God has called you and I to be spiritual champions. And right now, listen, there are shadow versions of yourself trying to run and cloak and come around you with things that have never been meant to be a part of who you are but he's given you a gift called self-control, the ability to receive deeply from his spirit so that your body can move where God is moving you and you have just one decision. Will you choose for a moment today to hear the rhythms your father has for you? I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. Now, a lot of the times when we get into these altar calls, a lot of them can be very emotional. And I don't want to be very emotional this morning. I want to be very intentional. So I'm going to ask this. If you're one of those that you heard about the Bible reading challenge and the Lord said, that's you, you need to be on that Bible reading challenge, I'm going to put up a slide right now. In just a minute, I'm going to pray for you. But I'm going to put up a slide right now. If we could pull up that Bible reading challenge with the QR code. And so what you're going to see is you've got the register to join. That's the top one you want. If you'll take just a minute with your phone and fill that out, all it's going to ask for is this. It's going to ask for your name, your contact information, email address, phone number. That's it. And then you will register to join. If you want to go ahead and get ahead and find that in the Bible app, that's that second QR code that you see. But I want to be really intentional in this moment this morning. Would you take just a minute? If the Lord's calling you and saying, that's the way, that's what you're supposed to do, that you're to commit to read through the Bible alongside community, we start next Sunday. Now, we're going to keep that up on the screen. 
While that's up, while even you're filling that out, I just want to ask this question. Do you feel like you're running aimlessly? Do you feel like you're running with those voices of those shadow selves trying to come over you? Do you feel like you're boxing at the air? Where is God speaking to you right now? Maybe even in time with his word, maybe the challenge is you've actually got to get permission for you to give yourself time. I find this a lot of times with moms who are the most selfless people I know on the planet. You spend all of your time looking out for everybody else. Moms, I want to say something right now. When turbulence comes on the flight and the oxygen masks fall, you have to secure it on yourself first before anybody else around you. Where is the Father calling you to say no more excuses? I'm going to make time in my schedule. I'm going to ask right now the Father would speak to you about when that time is. For you to say, oh, I'll get up at this time and here's the space that I'll have regularly to meet with him. Would you just let him begin to speak to you there? Would you say to him, I have no more excuses, Lord. I'm ready to know your word. You say, I don't understand his word. Well, you're going to understand it so much more as you read in community, as you read with your missional community. Second question I want to ask there. Where is God calling for you to make regular priority of connecting with his heart? Regular priority of talking to him and hearing his voice back. When is he saying he wants these in your schedule? Where is he telling you you'll be? I'm praying right now you're seeing a room in your house or a, a path around your neighborhood. Place there in your office before you start your work day. Time in your car, whatever it looks like. By the way, for some of you, reading through the Bible plan, it might be God saying to you, hey, that Bible reading time, I actually want you to listen to an audio Bible because you've read it a number of times and it's lost its meaning, so just listen. Just download that and listen as you're going to work. I'm going to ask for just a second, what does it look like? All right, now that's the practical. Now I'm going to ask in this place, you close your eyes with me. Place one hand on your heart. Because many times in ministry, I've walked through the practical. I've shared a plan. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've given a challenge for people to be in the Word of God or to be in prayer. But my deep desire this morning, the, the burning passion in me, is that something will be different this time. Even if your time in the Word has been amazing, that it'll be different, that it'll be elevated, that it'll be greater, because he's taking us to ever-increasing levels of glory. So with your hand on your heart, would you just say this quietly before him? No more excuses, Father. If you've been wrestling with some sense of guilt or shame of why haven't I done this yet, you feel some sense of just deep correction or anger for the Father, would you just right now say, I reject shame. I reject guilt. I reject shame. I receive your grace right now that you want me to know you. Would you tell him with your hand on your heart, Father, I want to know you. 
Somebody, would you tell him again, Father, I want to know you. Would you tell him, Father, I want to know you. And I'll make space. And now right there, repeat something like this with me. Father, I receive the anointing of self-control. I receive the anointing for my body to move in accordance with what you've done in my spirit. I receive discipline and I receive it with joy. Now, Father God, I just ask for each of my brothers, my sisters, my friends here in the room and hearing my voice. Father, we collectively come together and we receive from you. We receive the spiritual gift of self-control. We receive the same spiritual gift, Father, that you poured into every athlete that we could not just be okay anymore. The reason that revival tarries is because we can live without it. No more. No more. Would you tell him, hand on your heart, God, I can't live without it anymore. I can't live without knowing you anymore. Father, I ask that we would burn for you. Now, would you come and take this offering? Would you come and take this fire? Would you light it up deeply? I'm going to ask you to take just a second here. And Father, we're just going to ask this one question. Father, what do you want to say to me? Would you ask him, Father, what do you want to say to me? We're going to give just a minute here. And then we're going to move to close our service. Let's just listen to the Lord for just a moment.